there. This is Michael Brady of Partners for Karmic Freedom with my partner, Linda Brady, the world-famous karmic astrologer. It is the Cancer Project podcast. Uh, It is day 111. It's November the 19th, 2022. Uh, The title of this one is The Worst Day of Her Young Life. And I'm going to mark it part one because I think it's going to take two parts to talk about what's gone down since my last podcast. On, oh, and just to advertise a little bit, we can be reached at uh, Partners for Karmic Freedom. It can be reached at karmicfreedom.com and karmicfreedom at gmail.com. And my phone number is 802 323 That's me, Michael Brady. And I'm textable. So, um, we went into the hospital this week, this past week, on Tuesday. Which, if I was smart enough, I would have already made sure what day of the what the date of that was. But it's the uh, <laughs> it's the nineteenth today. And it was Tuesday of this past week that we went into the hospital. So Linda could complete her radiation and chemo treatment for cervical cancer. Just to recap, she um, started treatment on August. She was diagnosed on July 4th of this year. Uh, she was she began treatment for it with the uh, with a traditional approach, AMA, um, with chemo and radiation on August 1st, she was slated to do five weeks of five days a week radiation, Monday through Friday, with a chemo overlay, throwing chemo in on one day of that week. It would turned out to be Wednesdays, along with the radiation. And then uh, after four weeks, I'm sorry, yeah, four weeks of that, she was supposed to four or five weeks. I'm, I'm, I'm a little fuzzy today. This has been really exhausting this last weekend. Um, I'm really tired today. Anyway, um, she was supposed to do that, that I think it was five weeks of radiation, um, external radiation. That is where they are aiming, aiming the radiation at her, her abdomen. So from her sternum to her groin, uh, and everything gets radiated. The cancer gets radiated, and everything there gets radiated at the same time. And then the chemo, of course, is like um, infusing Drano into someone's bloodstream. That's the closest analogy I can come up with. I'm not even sure that's an analogy because it is destructive to every cell it comes in contact with, and it's circulated through your bloodstream. Go figure. Uh, so she tolerated that less well than they expected because she stopped doing the, uh, chemo two treatments early because uh, she just couldn't, her body couldn't tell her anymore. She was literally dying on the vine in front of my eyes while they're trying to treat a, a disease that'll kill her. She continued, she then also had to stretch out the radiation. She took a, a couple of days breaks here and there because she couldn't tolerate that. She finally got all that done. We were scheduled to do this uh, called brachytherapy directed radiation 
which is where they dilate your cervix and they insert rods and a tray, a container of some sort, uh, and they position it inside her cervix. And then she is, for 20 minutes, uh, exposed to radiation that they put into her body inside her cervix. Uh, and then she has to rest for six hours and they do it again. She has to rest for six hours. They do it again. Has to rest for six hours. Do it again. They do it four times. And the entire time that they're treating her this way, this apparatus is positioned inside of her, which meant that when she went in on Tuesday, we left we, we arrived at the hospital at 5 a.m. on Tuesday, per request. They don't open their doors until 5, I, I, I came to know. We, so we were a little couple minutes early. At 10 minutes early, we had to stand out in the cold in Florida. It was, cold, it was a cold morning in Florida. And wait for the hospital doors to open. I thought the hospital was supposed to be open 24-7. I don't know. Anyway, we showed up at 5 o'clock. Um, they put her in anesthesia um, like two hours after that, um, and inserted the um, the the apparatus, the rods into through her vagina into her cervix, and she was wheeled up to a hospital room. And they didn't really assign the room until she was in process down in the other place because hospitals these days are uh, understaffed, overbooked, uh, and. Uh, don't have enough beds, to be honest with you. I mean, it's crazy more days than not in a hospital trying to get a bed these days. Anyway, um, she came back from the installation, let's call it. She had to recover from her anesthesia. They had to do anesthesia to do that. Uh, So at at, uh, 10 o'clock that morning, she received her first treatment. She was wheeled down in the bed that she was put on when they did the procedure, and she never left that particular bed until she left the hospital, which was three days later. She was wheeled down uh, and uh, got her 20-minute treatment and wheeled back up. She's lying flat now on a bed. Uh, She has two signs on the bed that says, uh, do not raise the head of this bed, period. Uh, She couldn't lift her head. She could not move her body. She was told to stay as still as possible on her back for the duration of this treatment process. And we did not know that. Nobody really told us that before she went in the door, before she went in the hospital. They didn't describe it that completely, that explicitly. So she got treated at um, 10 a.m., I think that's right. It's really foggy. This was the hardest hospital stay I've been in, and I'm just the passenger in this. I'm just the helper. I'm not the one going through it, really. Um, and and this was this was awful. Anyway, that night, Tuesday night, I'm I'm thinking. I'm sorry. She had one treatment on Tuesday, so she had the procedure done at ten o'clock in the morning. We got into a bed by noontime. I think they did the treatment around 3 or 4 o'clock that day. And then she was going to have t- uh, two treatments the next day. That would have been Wednesday. 
and then a fourth treatment on Thursday and out the door, like right after the treatment and they extract the uh, apparatus. Uh, they were they planned to discharge her on the same day. I assumed it was going to be in the late afternoon or evening it was, uh, but that wasn't really, you know, clarified up front or set in stone necessarily. So she got her first day's treatment, and by 12 o'clock that night, she was in agonizing pain, and she couldn't move. And most of the pain was coming from the fact that she couldn't move. Her body had been stationary in horizontal position for five or six hours or eight hours, you know, or nine hours, however much it was then. And at 12 o'clock at night, she was having some internal pain and a lot of external low back pain uh, to where you would want to squirm, you would want to move, and she can't move. So it's kind of like a Chinese torture exercise. And at 12 o'clock, she requested oxycodone, a heavy-duty painkiller. She hadn't had one up to then. And at 2 o'clock in the morning, she had still not received an oxycodone or any kind of pain relief. And we had buzzed the nursing station continually, uh, once every 20 minutes, once every half an hour, for the two hours from 12 to 2. And the, and the, the delay was that they had called the doctor, they'd phoned the doctor, I'm, I'm assuming in-house doctor, I, I think that's correct now in hindsight, whoever the resident blah, 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 was that night that attached to that service or that floor or that team or whatever the hell, um, and they hadn't gotten back to the nurses. There was no order written, no order verbally given over the internal house phone to the nurse in two hours. Well, I went ballistic uh, at two o'clock when I called in and the um, the poor girl who sits at the uh, at the desk in the nursing station and answers all the calls. He wasn't really as a nurse, I don't think. She's probably an aide of some sort came to the room to tell me that the nurse was tied up down the other hallway with another patient uh, who was having problems and um, she would pass my request. Well, I blew my top at this poor girl. I mean, I was so pissed I couldn't see straight. I was so pissed that I was standing next to Linda's bed on her uh, as you face the foot of the bed, I was standing on the left side. So my right hand was next to the bed. And when I was talking to this poor girl, I was so emphatic with my hand gestures. I had, I was pointing with my index finger down at Linda and I started jabbing the bed. While I was talking to this poor girl and telling her that this was totally unacceptable and somebody needed to get off their ass right now and take care of this. And I don't care what the problems are. A doctor needed to, anyway. She listened to me. She left. It took less than a minute for the nurse to come back. And then shortly followed, briefly followed after that by the supervising nurse on the unit on the floor. And so I had two nurses and I'm 
I'm still, I'm very irate. Any of you who know me know I can be uh, not to be trifled with (laughs) when I get angry. Anyway, I was trifling with them. And they're giving me the the standard answer. And I'm telling them, I don't care. It's not acceptable. This needs to be done right now. So they walked, so they left the room and they went out in the hallway. I followed them out in the hallway. <laughs> I'm watching what they're doing on the phones. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to leave their site until I find out when she's going to get her medications because this is like, this is worse than Chinese torture. So about 10 minutes later, about the same time the meds arrived, okay, uh, a, a man in a suit came into the room to interact with me, to calm me down or to assuage my, my concerns. He was very quick within a minute to tell me he wasn't a doctor. He was a hospital administrator. At 2 o'clock in the morning, I had a man in a suit with a tie like he was going to work at the bank this morning in in, in the room trying to trying to keep me okay while they finally at 2.15 got some medication in her that would quell her pain and allow her to be able to tolerate resting stationary like that, which is very unnatural. We all know that. Our bodies want to move every 20 minutes, one side or another, twitch from side to side, move from side to side. She'd already spent hours on her back doing her damnedest not to move. She finally got some make, some pain medication. It finally, it quelled the pain and it knocked her out, which is exactly what we wanted. And she went to sleep and she managed to get through that night. That was the first night. This was, uh, well, I'll tell you what I think about it when I get to the next part or the later part. So, we spent three days in the hospital where this entire bed had to be wheeled. And it's a larger bed than normal, by the way. It was an older bed. It was a larger bed. And it was difficult to maneuver in some of the hallways and the, and the, uh, and the um, door frames in the hospital because the, the, modern, the more modern beds are narrower, a little narrower, about five inches or six inches narrower. And um, it had to be carted uh, down seven floors and and an elevator to another part of the hospital for her treatments okay so um going for a treatment uh you 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 have to wait for transport so they get there and it takes you 10 minutes to get down to the down down to the treatment place it takes 20 minutes for the treatment and then you can wait 20 minutes 30 minutes, you can wait an hour for the transport to get back down there. Why? Because they have all their beds filled in the hospital. They're overloaded. And they they don't have enough transport. They don't have enough people to transport people uh, and keep up with it. So there are wait, there's kind of, it's kind of like a waiting line and a priority system. And so she could sit for 40 minutes or half an hour or an hour. These are actual uh, times that she had to sit waiting to be moved. Her bed moved back to her room. 
I wasn't there the first time she went down, but I went with her the rest of the times. Uh, I can't remember why I, I couldn't go down, but they wouldn't let me go down with her the first time. So I'm tagging along with her at least. And she she's not eating uh, because uh, she's nauseous. She's uncomfortable as hell. She's doped up uh, as much as possible, as, as, as often as possible, just because it's torture to be a lot. Uh, it's torture to be awake, to be honest with you. She's not eating much at all, hardly anything the, the whole time she's in the hospital. I managed to get her a, a muffin that she liked and some hot tea from Star no, I'm some um some lemon cake from Starbucks uh and some hot tea, English breakfast tea. Uh, a couple of times in the morning, but that's really all she ever ate. And I don't, and, and she doesn't eat a whole piece of anything, a whole piece of bread, a whole piece of cake, a whole piece of hamburger, a whole piece of anything anymore. Uh, so she barely ate. Um, and we got to um, Thursday. <sighs> Woke up Thursday, and this is the last treatment, and we're out of here. Uh, so she went... Um, she went for treatment at noontime. It was scheduled at 10. It got bumped to noon. And then she was, she was supposed to come back and then go back down for the retrieval of the apparatus to take the things out of her that's been in her for the last two days and something. And because she got down there late, we got down there late, uh, they decided on the fly to just do, just do the removal after they did the treatment while she was there, so she didn't even come out of the out of the out of the room where they do the uh, exposure uh, to the radiation. But the doctor buzzed by me and told me he was going to uh, he, he was going to remove the apparatus while she was here instead of her having to go back up and come back down. Oh, thank goodness! They they took it out of her at at uh, like uh, one o'clock. We didn't get out of there until quarter to five. We didn't get home until six o'clock. So six o'clock on Thursday, we were home. The guy said, when he said, I'm going to take it out while she's still down here, said to her, standing next to the bed in the hallway, that she, she said to him, what's, What's it going to be like? Because she's anticipating something really bad. In fact, she anticipated something really bad all the way through, even approaching this experience, and she wasn't wrong. She was actually underestimating it. And he said, it'll feel like a pinch. It'll be quick. Well, it wasn't quick. It was probably four or five minutes to get the apparatus out of her. There's packing involved, and you can just use your imagination. Okay, so either, I don't know, you know, the old story about Doc, is it going to hurt me? And the Doc says, no, it's not going to hurt. And what he really said in his mind was, is it going to hurt me? <laughs> well, she got a version of that. So the last awful excruciating thing was the extraction process. And it was excruciating, according to Linda. So we come home and Thursday night, we get to sleep on our own bed. I get her into bed. She's got some pain pills, so she has an oxy and she has some Ambien to go to sleep. And that 
believe it or not, that stuff doesn't knock her around immediately. It takes her 25 minutes, 40 minutes, sometimes an hour and a quarter after she ingests that for her body to relax enough for her to be able to actually go to sleep. So I'm in the habit now of lying on the bed with her until she goes to sleep because I usually don't go to sleep same time as her. There's stuff you got to do in life, you know, how that goes. And she starts having a literal panic attack. She is scared to death. I mean, I can see her scared. I mean, her, her body's experiencing her, her fear. And she's scared. She looks like a little girl, actually. And she doesn't want me to leave the bed, and she doesn't want me to go into the bathroom, and she doesn't want me to let go of her. In fact, she was clinging to me for 20 or 30 minutes uh, during this night. And telling me that she had never felt like this in her life and that, and I'm trying to, you know, me, I'm the counselor, I'm trying to extricate more details to get uh, some processing going so I can help her with this. Well, that didn't work. And in describing what she was feeling, uh, the closest thing I could get to it was was basically terror, fear and terror and extreme anxiety in her in her stomach in the in the gut uh, to such a degree that she couldn't let me out of her sight for an hour now I talked you know we talked as much as we could, and I held on to her, and she eventually got enough relief from the panic to go to sleep or she went to sleep and got relief from the panic. It's hard to tell. And I could get out of bed. So um, the next day, Friday, got up. Linda spent the day, um, you know, either in bed sleeping, doing a, a, a lot of oxy because of pain or in her chair watching trying to watch some kind of some kind of TV uh, and I was trying to catch up trying to take care of all the odds and ends that get left behind when you go into a hospital you know all that stuff and the day went whoosh well that Friday also I had a new client I had a past life regression I need to do with somebody by Zoom uh, in the afternoon so I got that done uh, at 7 o'clock. I got done that work at 7 o'clock. When I came out of the room, I, I, I had gotten our puppies back that day uh, by noontime. So they were in a crate when I came out of my office at uh, 7 o'clock Saturday no- uh, Friday night, which was last night. This is Saturday. And they were quiet and... I don't see Linda, so I opened the opened the bedroom door, and she's in bed, and the, and she has the covers up, and she's sound asleep. And I thought, oh, good, she's asleep. So I took an opportunity because I've been, I was in a hospital for th- three days constant, and slept in a chair for 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 two and a half nights, uh, kind of thing, and, and um, hadn't gotten much fresh air, hadn't got much exercise or anything. I was I was. Uh, cramped up, let's put it that way. So I decided to take a loop or two around our apartment complex, which if I do five loops around it is equal to 10,000 steps. So I did I, I did two loops. It took like 35, 40 minutes, I don't know, I forget, half an hour, something like that. And each time I passed by the house and the 
I was about to start the third one when I went to pass the house and I saw, I glanced in through the blinds and saw that Linda was up and had just walked into the front of the house uh, or the apartment. Uh, so I, 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 I just came in. Um, and we sat and talked a while, um, after, uh, after I got in the house. Um, and I said to her, I had this insight on my walk, I said, all of a sudden it hit me, and it had something to do with, and I can't remember what, but it, the past life work I had done with this this guy that evening um, sparked something in, in my mind, in my brain, along the way, and I'm and I'm doing the walk around the apartment complex and trying to get some some air and 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 exercise my lungs and operate my heart a little bit and all that stuff and I'm and I'm stewing as I do that and all of a sudden it hits me that that night that first night when Linda had the panic attack in the bed that she was talking to me about what it feels like after you've been raped And everything, all the balls fell into place and all the, everything lined up. And I said to her, you felt last night what you felt when you were three years old and you don't, and you didn't know it because she has this, and I think, I don't know if this has been shared along the way in the podcast, can't remember, but Linda, uh, grew up, um, with a mother who was the director of volunteer services at a place called Rosewood, which was an institution for the chronically mentally retarded. And her home was only like a half a mile away from the grounds. So Linda lived at Rosewood when she was a little kid. She grew up there. Uh, she was volu- She was the youngest volunteer in the state of Maryland when it came to Rosewood uh, in the history of, of its life kind of thing. And when she was three years old, one of the, of, uh, of the patients of the clients, I think they call them patients historically, they call it clients in my era, um, a, a retarded kid, uh, he, was prob- he was a teenager, was over at their house doing yard work or something because they used to have work programs for these kids. Uh, in the fifties and, and the in the yeah in the fifties and the early sixties maybe of course that stopped along the way as inhumane treatment or something uh, or servitude or something um, and uh, he didn't have a very high IQ so I mean he wasn't cognizant but he ended up raping Linda uh, in a field when she was three years old. And uh, it became known, and I don't know what happened to him, but she has a story all her life. She told me the story the first couple of years that we were together. She has a story her whole life of saying, when I was three years old, I said to them when the police came that they shouldn't hurt him because he didn't mean what he did. Even at three years old. She was taking care of somebody else. So all of a sudden I said to her, 
this past evening, you were connecting with what you emotionally felt and probably physically felt when you were three years old. Because literally, the the equivalent of what you went through in this treatment was like being gang-raped by four men over three days. You are you're physically a rape victim from this treatment. And you have the kind of damage that comes from being raped from this treatment that you have to recover from. And then it becomes an anniversary and it's calling up in your memory and in your body memory what you went through when you were three years old. But you couldn't claim it. You couldn't express it. You couldn't talk about it. You couldn't complain about it. You didn't do any of that stuff. You couldn't do any of that stuff for whatever reasons, the karmic reasons and the cultural reasons and the family reasons, you know, all that, all that stuff. And this is an opportunity for you to heal from that finally. For your little girl, Linny, to heal from an experience that didn't make any sense to her when it happened to her and she dismissed and nobody around her made sense of it for her at the time because her family didn't didn't deal with it other than on the physical level, they didn't deal with it. And they never talked about it and they never talked her through it. You know, this stuff wasn't done back then for lots of reasons. So when I said that to her, she, I mean, she had this big release of the tension in her face, like the light bulb gone off that we get. You know, when you have an insight, she was, she went, that's right. So literally what I'm here to tell you is that she survived being raped in the hospital to fix her and now she can heal and she's beginning her healing process. And it was the most gruesome thing I can imagine anybody has to go through. And our medical profession doesn't even acknowledge the gruesomeness of this. It just literally blows me away. And yet the people involved in hospitals, they're human beings. They have empathy. I mean, all the nursing staff in the hospital when you're in the hospital, they are professional, they're caring, uh, they're personable, they're tolerant, um, all of that stuff. They're not like completely un, uh, they're not completely cold or detached. There's a lot of humanness going on in hospitals. by the staff on a daily basis. But the structure of our healthcare system and the structure of treatment is abysmal. There is no humanity at all left in it. It's all clinical, statistical, objective bullshit. And it's all arranged around economics, the regularity of economics, the convenience of how things need to work on a regular basis. Uh, 
And it is creating this process that lacks humanity on an overall basis. Only the people, the individuals can be human along the way, but the the collection, the organization of it is has no humanity left in it, as far as I can tell. This is a lousy way to run a business. So anyway, we survived. We survived it, and now we know why, karmically, cancer needed to be part of Linda's life because this experience took her all the way back to the first trauma, traumas, trauma of her life. It took her all the way back to her roots, her origins, so that she could root out something that was stuck there. Something that was glossed over but never healed. And now she can heal. So we're going to take things gently. Um, Her body's going to recover faster than her emotions probably, I would imagine. Uh, I would think she's going to be needing to do some really um, ongoing work with her inner, her inner little girl. She's going to need to process on a psychic, spiritual, emotional level uh, the healing of this uh, for a while probably. Who knows how long healing takes, weeks, months, sometimes years for us. But it's begun, and she's uh, tolerated going through an experience to re- to pull up all of this deep work inside of herself. Um, and I know she'll be better for it. She'll be a new person. Uh, so we're whew, we're we're done. We're done with uh, the torture. Oh, I had an analogy. Let me see if I can remember this. When I was walking, when I was doing my walk. I was thinking about the the three phases of her treatment. The um, the radiation, uh, the radiation is like hosing the external radiation. It's like hosing somebody with a toxic fluid, like battery acid or something, which is kind of torturous if that happened to you, I would imagine. But that's what that was like for Linda. The chemo. The chemo is like literally injecting Drano into somebody's veins. And it's probably not that much of an analogy. And then, of course, this last brachytherapy treatment to go inside the cervix is basically gang rape. And that's our that's our treatment paradigm these days for cervical cancer. And yeah, it may kill the cancer, but it is a horrible, horrible experience to go through for anybody. And we don't even acknowledge that in the system. The system ignores it. Ignores how horrible it is on the people, really. 
the individuals do the best they can to help you with it. The nurses especially. But they don't have a lot of power. They can't change much about how rooms are organized or how long you have to wait for a bed or how long you have to wait for medication. I had oxycotton in uh, oxycodone, oxycodone, oxycodone in my pocket in a little pill container that night at 2 o'clock. At 12 o'clock, I had it. But you know what? It was illegal for Michael to take it out and give it to his wife. It was illegal for a nurse to take it from me and give it to her. What she needed was right there in the room with her. And, and she had to suffer for over two hours before she got the relief that she should have, that they should have had the foresight to know was coming. They should have had the foresight to head off. Aren't they doing this every day, every week, every year? How long has this been going on? Is this brand new? I don't think so. That's the state of our healthcare system. It sucks. We need to reorganize this thing from the ground up, and we need to take it out of the out of the hands of corporate America, and we need to put doctors in their place. I'm not talking about individuals. I'm talking about the AMA, the Professional Organization of Medical Doctors, because they're the ones who sold out to big business in the 80s. They sold health care out. Oh, I'm sorry about the rant. Sometimes I do get a little passionate. So that's the news. We are home. We have completed this awful, awful cure for cancer. And now we can go do something that's called wacko and alternative and not completely in the box yet called SOT treatment, which will feel like kindness and honey and love the whole time we're going through it because it has no side effects, has no downsides to it. It isn't even that painful to partake in the process. You draw some blood, you put blood back in, into a vein. Big deal. There's, and there's no downside. The rest of your body isn't adversely impacted by the treatment. Only the cancer is impacted by the treatment. So we're, we're done with the awfulness. The awfulness is now behind us, and the, everything in front of us is clear. And we will pursue this other treatment. It will take a year once we start because the treatments are active in the body for three months at a time and you need to do four uh, to complete the paradigm that is prescribed for this. So a year after we get started, we'll be done the SOT. And at that point, her body won't be able to produce squalmous cancer cells even at the stem cell level in her body anymore. So she won't have to worry about this cancer coming back. And she can have the rest of her natural life for us to do more of what we're doing in life, which is doing the best we can to be helpful to people in our own way. Anyway, that's the news, uh, all the news for now. Um, I don't know what else to say tonight, um, except I'm, I'm very glad to be home. I'm glad she's home, and we are both, really, today. I got up this morning and got a shower and got dressed, and I helped helped her get dressed, and and I took her out to Panera to get um, some breakfast or something to eat. 
She didn't eat much, hardly anything. She got nauseous while she was there on top of her anti-nauseous meds. So we came home before she really ate very much. I got something to eat. We were only out in the world for an hour. Came back home. And within a half an hour after we got back home, the bottom fell out for both of us. We've been exhausted all day. So I'm going to go to bed early tonight um, and not do anything the rest of the night and see if I can get some more energy up tomorrow or have it longer tomorrow than I did today. Um, thank goodness we got tomorrow. Sunday, a day off, a day of rest. Anyway, that's the news, all the news. Um, thanks for listening. Um, thanks for all the love and support that all of you sent our way this past week. I felt it. She felt it. We felt it. Uh, we heard it. You all, a lot of you stayed in touch with us while this process was going on. And again, um, this is about being transparent about this experience because we think other people have like experiences and these things aren't talked about enough in life. So we decided to share most everything we could about what we're going through with this experience uh, for ourselves, to help ourselves and to help you all. And it has been doing both things apparently. So if there's any input, any response, uh, anything that you would like to reach back and uh, tell us or to talk about, uh, please feel free to do that. Uh, I can be reached again at 802-323-6880. Uh, we are partners for Karmic Freedom. Uh, karmicfreedom.com is our website and karmicfreedom at gmail.com is our email. So please feel free to opine and to respond to us uh, as you wish. And I will talk to you uh, soon. I don't know how soon. Uh, at, the, at the latest, next weekend. But I may do another podcast this week now that we've got a little breathing room that we haven't had up until now. Uh, and, and, oh, and happy holiday. Happy Thanksgiving. It is a year. It, it is a time to really, for all of us, to give thanks for what we have. Until the next time, this is Michael Brady. Thanks for listening.